Hello, and welcome to Wicked Wednesdays, your weekly podcast on sex and sexuality with an emphasis on BDSM and kink relationships, also poly relationships. I'm your host, Wicked Fellow, and today we're celebrating our 20th episode. I know that a lot of podcasts don't make it this far, and I am very grateful to all of you who have stuck with us from the very beginning, and I know some of you are out there and still writing in with your questions and your comments and I appreciate that very much. A special thank you to our Patreon supporters. The new supporters this week are JB and Matt. Thank you both very much for your generous contributions. If you would like to join our little Patreon family and get access to behind-the-scenes footage, some picture galleries, some recipes, spoken word audio, and all kinds of other neat things that I am pushing to the Patreon-only site, head over to my website at www.wickedfellow.com and you'll find links to all of our sites there, some pretty extensive podcast notes, and also the link to our Patreon. I cannot thank you guys enough. You help keep this thing running. The people who can support even a little bit every month, big thanks to you guys. I really appreciate it. Today, we're going to wrap up the sub-portion of our BDSM 101 podcast. We've gone pretty in-depth into a lot of different types of submissive. And a question that I keep getting frequently is, you know, what if I don't fit into one of these types? What if I don't fit into the brat style? Or if I don't fit into the bedroom submissive or all this? And that is totally fine. You know, again, these are common roles, common personality archetypes in the BDSM world but there's no prerequisite that you fall into one of these categories. You know, you might just be a submissive. And the way that you play will vary based on how you're feeling and who you're playing with. You might just be a dominant, and you don't have a particular style of domination. And that's completely fine. In this BDSM 101 series, I want to introduce people to a lot of the different terms and terminologies they'll hear. You know, what is brat play? What is rope play? What is service style submissive play. I want to make sure that I'm covering those bases, but in no means does it mean that you have to fit into one of those boxes. You might fit into several of them. You might fit into none of them, and that's completely fine. So today, as we're making the transition from the subtopic into the dom topic, we're going to talk about two different subtypes. And one is a pain slut, and that's a gender neutral, you know, male pain slut, female pain slut, non-binary pain slut everybody's a pain slut. There are other words for this, a pain bottom or someone that, you know, classic masochist, obviously. But pain slut is a very common term in BDSM for someone that is really into extreme stimulation play. Usually that is very painful stimulation play. And we're also going to talk about switches, which is very fitting as we transition from the submissive set of podcasts into the dominant set of podcasts. So pain sluts, pain play extreme stimulation play, you know, this is one of those things that's more towards the edge of kink where it's a more extreme style of play often. And sometimes these kinks are taken to a very extreme point. If you've seen people that have, you know, hooks inserted through their skin and they're suspended by those hooks, that would be a form of pain play, of extreme pain play. Obviously that incorporates aspect of rigging and rope play and bondage. But specifically, we're talking about a lot of, you know, intense stimulation 
intense electrostimulation is part of that, intense flogging, you know, caning. All of these can be practiced very lightly and very playfully. You know, you can be paddled extremely lightly, almost ticklishly, right up to where every strike is cutting the skin and drawing blood, which is perfectly fine if both parties are okay with that. So pain play, as I have dealt personally with people that are really into pain play and really into that extreme stimulation, for them, and I can only speak to my own experience on this, to achieve a subspace for them, they need to be kind of whited out with sensation. They need to have their limits pressed to the very edge of what they can stand. They experience it like breaking through a wall, like suddenly they are in this new space. They've had the intensity dialed up and up and up and up to the point where they think they can't take it anymore. And then they have a breakthrough. And for them, that breakthrough is into their own subspace where they're very disconnected from reality. It's a very calm, peaceful, tranquil place for some people. And it's something that they enjoy very much. You know, I'm sure that there is a endorphin high associated with that. I'm sure that some of it is just an overstimulation response. You know, some people will pass out if they're overstimulated. It's very akin to that. And for people that are very into pain play, that's just what works for them. That's what turns them on. That's what really excites them. That's where they like to go in the kink BDSM world. You know, and again, it's perfectly fine. You need to have some pretty serious precautions when you're doing extreme pain play, especially pain play that involves, you know, breaking of skin. You're dealing with, you know, bodily fluids and sometimes spatter of bodily fluids. So you do need to be very aware of your, you know, STI protocols and safety protocols. Aftercare for, you know, this kind of intense pain stimulation can be very intensive. You know, if you're dealing with a lot of lacerations, you know, say on your back and thighs from being caned, and a lot of those have been opened up and are bleeding, aftercare in that situation is going to be, you know, some a bit of medical treatment as well as just calming down and soft words. The dom in that situation should be responsible for making sure that any wounds are dressed, that everything's taken care of, that, you know, there's no risk of infection, etc., cleaning everything very thoroughly. That would be part of the aftercare process in this kind of extreme pain play. The same would be true of, say, suspension piercings or any sort of pain play. Sometimes hot wax can fall into that. Hot wax is generally not that dangerous. Um, you can get burns from it. And I know that, you know, you do have to be careful with it and experiment. Part of that comes into how far the wax falls, which gives it more time to cool. So the closer the source of wax, say a candle, is to the subject, the hotter that wax is when it hits their skin. And so you have to find a balance to where it's it's very intensely stimulating, but not necessarily causing burns. So that's one form of intense stimulation pain play. Electrostim, same thing. You can create a huge amount of stimulation through electrostim without actually doing any damage, um, especially if you're using like a TENS unit, which has pads that adhere to the skin and deliver a high voltage but low amperage um, electrostimulation into the nerves, into the muscle fibers. 
it can be therapeutic, and that's what the technology was designed for. It can also be extremely painful when you dial up those controls. There's other forms of electrostimulation, you know, like literal car battery and such. Obviously, safety protocols are very important there. I'm not going to dive into, you know, how to do electrostim right here. At some point, we may have a discussion on safety and electrostim and best practices in electrostim. And that would be a very useful podcast, I think. For now, if you are into electrostim, read up on it. You know, do some research and make sure that you're not doing something that could be life-threatening for fun, right? You want to be very careful about where you place those electrodes, for example, and how much voltage you're using, how much amperage you're using to make sure that nobody's in danger. They're just getting the stimulation that they're looking for. You know, this is true... Once we're out here towards the edge, towards the extreme levels of BDSM play, personal safety is very important. And it's incumbent on both parties, both the dominant and the submissive, both the person being flogged and the flogger, to have safety in mind. Because you can push your limits. You can really push your limits to extremes in a safe way. At the same time, when you're getting out towards those edges of the of the pain play especially, you are doing dangerous things. When we're talking about piercing suspension, where people are being having hooks put through their skin and suspended, done properly, that can be very fulfilling, I'm sure. But I think it could also be very dangerous. You know, skin can only take so much, and so someone would have to have a very good understanding of how many suspension points they're using, how heavy the wire gauge is, for example. That's not my specialty, so I wouldn't want to be giving advice on how to do that. If that's what you're into, if that's what excites you, you know, seek out some training in that to find out how to do it safely because you don't want to be tearing skin. You don't want to be causing big wounds in the search of this stimulation. Caning is often a form of extreme BDSM pain play. Caning is anytime you're using kind of a thin striking object that when it hits has the potential to break the skin. So a crop is designed not to break skin and it will have a leather tab on the end or nylon tab to prevent the very tip of the crop from breaking the skin. Um, little side note, I was playing with a sub one time and I was using her toys and she had a, a crop, just a standard crop like you would find anywhere, except it did not have that leather tip on it. It was just a wand-style tip. And me being unfamiliar with it was giving her some you know, medium impact play with it. And I was getting the responses I expected. And then on one strike, it was clear that that strike caused her a lot more pain than I had intended or that she was expecting. And what had happened was that the tip of that crop had kind of arced over her back and the very tip of it had, you know, cut her skin, made a little inch-long cut in her skin, which was not my intention. So be very careful when you're using unfamiliar play objects. Make sure you understand what they do, how hard they hit, any dangers associated with them. You know, I've never cut somebody open with a standard crop. You know, they're designed not to do that. But this particular wand-type crop, it, it very easily, with very little force, was able to, you know, injure my sub in a small way. So, you know, it's my responsibility, and that's something that, from that point on, I've been much more careful whenever I'm using an unfamiliar piece of equipment 
to make sure I understand what its limitations and capacities are. So yeah, in caning, sometimes you'll see people that have been caned and you know their back is just a mass of bruises and bloody welts. That's the stimulation that they're going for, and that's fine. But that kind of pain play requires a lot of responsibility on both parties to make sure that nobody is being injured in the long term, at least not more than they want to be, that they're receiving proper aftercare to take care of those injuries. You know, we don't want infections. We don't want life-threatening situations developing because of a night of play. Some people are into cutting, knife play. Some people are into branding, you know, heating up metal and using it to burn the skin in patterns or just in, you know, just as stimulation. All of these more extreme elements of BDSM were not at the far edge of what people do. It's perfectly fine as long as it's consensual, as long as both people are into it and this is what they're seeking out. But as you get to the more extreme parts of play, the responsibility for the safety of yourself and your partner go up. This isn't something you just jump into. It's not something you should do without proper training, without doing some research and making sure that you know what you're doing before you engage in this type of extreme play. It can be a lot of fun. It can be very exciting. It can be very fulfilling and stimulating for people if that's what they're into. It can also be dangerous. So definitely be careful with this stuff. Further on down the line, I think we will get into kind of a breakdown of some of these more extreme plays. I will make sure I provide good advice on safety protocols and limitations, etc. This is still just the overview section. As always, as we're moving through some of these types of play, and you'll hear about things that are definitely not for you, you know, keep your mind open. Be aware that you're going to have some inbuilt prejudices towards some of these things. And even if it's not for you, be careful not to look down on people that this is their kink. This is the thing they enjoy doing. And as long as both parties consent, there is nothing wrong with it. No matter how extreme, no matter how crazy, you know, two people can do whatever they want to do. That's just how the kink scene works. So now we're going to move into switches and what is being a switch all about. Switches occupy this interesting space between dom and sub because they are both. Sometimes a switch will like to be a dominant and sometimes a switch will want to be submissive. And that could be a 50-50 split for them. It could be 80-20, it could be 90-10. And they, you know, 90% of the time they may enjoy being dominant, but every now and then they wanna try being submissive or it's fulfilling to them to be submissive. That doesn't make them any less of a dom. And the same is true for submissives. You know, in my experience so far, most of the time people that are switches tend to lean towards the submissive side so they'll be, you know, 75% submissive. And about 25% of the time, they like being a dom. They like being in charge. You know, that's just my personal experience. Other people, it is 50-50. For them, it's very evenly mixed. And they can go either direction on any given day based on how they feel, based on what's going on in their life, based on who they are playing with. And I think that may be the biggest challenge for a switch is that... In order for a switch to be switchy, in order for them to practice both sides of their, of their BDSM and kink nature, their partner or partners also have to be willing to switch. You know, for example, if one of my submissives was a switch, that would be fine, but there would be no outlet for them to use that dominant side of their personality because I'm not a switch. For me, I don't have any fulfillment or joy in playing the submissive role. My current submissives are submissives. They don't have a switchy tendency to them. It would be fine if they did, 
the difficulty would be how they would find fulfillment in that. You know, would they seek out another partner? Would they have somebody that when they felt dominant, they could be dominant with? And so some BDSM and kink partnerships, both are switches. You know, both people in that relationship or the multiple people in that relationship are both very switchy and they negotiate between themselves who's going to be in charge. And sometimes for those people, part of the fun is a little bit of tension and a little bit of some competition into who's going to be in charge. That may be a big part of their play. We're going to wrestle this out and I'm going to be dominant tonight. Or we're going to wrestle this out and, oh, you know, I guess I'm going to be submissive tonight. I don't have a lot of experience personally, A, dealing with switches or practicing, you know, switch behavior myself. My subconscious frequently reminds me that at one point I told her there's no such thing as a switch which was just me being ignorant. It was me not taking into account the fact that, of course, there are some people that sometimes they want to be dominant and sometimes they want to be submissive. I think the way that I was approaching that is people who are dominant know they're dominant. People who are submissive know they're submissive. And for either of those groups, there isn't any fulfillment or joy in playing the other role, even in a subversive manner. But as I've learned more and as I've met more people and as I've grown in the scene more, I have met people who are clearly switches. You know, sometimes they have a deep need to be dominated and sometimes they really want to do the dominating. And for them, it's very natural. It's very fluid and it's very comfortable for them to switch back and forth in those roles. Whereas for me, it wouldn't do anything for me. You know, it wouldn't fulfill anything within me to play the submissive role. And for someone like Katja, she doesn't want to be in the dominant role. That does not excite her or give her a thrill or a sense of fulfillment. In fact, for her, for someone that's deeply submissive like Katja is, there's a lot of anxiety that would come with being in charge. If she was the one being in charge of a scene, that wouldn't be fun for her. That would actually be very challenging and provoke a lot of internal anxiety for her. You know, So that's very clear. For her, she's a sub. I'm a dom. It's not a big deal. For people that are on that boundary, who do like to switch back and forth, there's nothing wrong with that in the scene. I think that it might just be a little bit more difficult for them to find partners in kind of a foundational relationship. If you're someone that's playing with multiple different partners or you're playing with a number of different people in a more casual sense, it might be more easy for you to establish relationships where in this relationship, you're always the dominant. And in this relationship, you're always the submissive. And I've actually had relationships with people who fulfilled that role where they were dominant of other people, but with me, they were submissive and they were very comfortable in that role. And I was very comfortable with them as a submissive, even knowing that they had other people that they were dominant over. So yeah, as I've, as I've experienced more in the scene, I've understood the switch personality more though I don't have any personal experience being a switch. As I've talked about all these different kinds of submissive, you know, remember that this may change throughout your journey in BDSM and kink. You know, you may have an interest, a strong interest in rope play, but in time it might fade for you and you want to explore other avenues of kink. Or, you know, you've always been submissive, but over time, party wants to try at the dominant side. And I encourage that. That kind of experimentation and that kind of growth as a kinky person is something that I definitely want to encourage. You know, you're not locked into a role 
for life based on what you felt like 10 years ago. So as we were talking about uh, two weeks ago in that sometimes people's kinky nature kind of grows, evolves and changes. And your partner has to be able to either flex with you on that and grow with you, or they have to be open enough that you can experiment with other people. That plays into the fact that a lot of kinky people are poly. And so it is possible for someone to have multiple concurrent relationships. And those relationships may have different levels of kink play or different roles of kink play. So someone may have a dominant submissive relationship with one person where they are the dominant. And then in another relationship, they may be the submissive. And for them, it's a very easy transition back and forth. And that allows them to be fulfilled in all of their needs. You know, they are able to express that dominant part of their personality. And they're able to get fulfillment from being submissive in another part of their relationships. It's just a healthy part of BDSM and kink. So that wraps up the sub portion of our BDSM 101. And I know I did not hit every single different type of submissive style or submissive play in BDSM. You know, I haven't talked about financial domination or financial subjugation, for example. We are going to touch on that, especially as I move into the dom section of BDSM. We will talk about some of those styles of play in relation to being a dom. If there's a specific type of submissive play that you feel like I've overlooked and you want me to talk about, you know, send me a note, send me a comment. I will be hitting more as we talk about specific play styles. I'll be talking about it more in the Dom episodes as well. But I think I've covered the major archetypes of submissive personalities. Next week, we're going to talk about different types of Doms, different ways of being a Dom, different personality traits involved in that, what it's like to be a Dom, why people have dominant tendencies, etc. How those Doms relate to different submissive personalities, etc. As always, I need your questions and comments. I welcome them, whether it's something that I've talked about already, that you want clarification on, a point you think that I've got completely wrong, you know, let me know and we'll talk about it. If there's something that you feel like I've overlooked or I'm missing, write that in too. The best place to look for us is at our website, www.wickedfellow.com. There's contact links there, as well as links to all of our social media and all of our websites. And you can find out how to subscribe to our Patreon, which helps keep this whole show running, and I really appreciate our Patreon supporters. A quick business update. Things are now moving ahead on all the sites that we're on. Pornhub has been fairly stagnant, and part of the reason for that is the material that I currently have unedited or in the process of being edited is going to be too rough for Pornhub. So I've essentially been just uploading these podcasts and some of the remasters as I go through our old catalog. I've been putting those back up on Pornhub as well. At some point, obviously, I may try and make content that won't get taken down from Pornhub. But at the moment, because of their very strict policy on rough content, I'm very hesitant to put up anything new on Pornhub because what we have is rough. We make rough stuff because that's what sells. That's what people want to see, and that's what we get the most views on. When we do sensual videos, they kind of languish. They never really get a lot of views. And it takes just as much time and effort to make those as rough videos. So Pornhub will kind of remain as is, you know, with steadily declining profits. X videos and X hamster, so far those sites are working very well for us. They are not nearly as quick to pull down rough videos. 
and we've had moderate success on both of those sites. So that's where our new content is going to be out. I am doing everything I can to get new content out as fast as I can. At the moment, it's faster for me to re-edit and re-upload existing content that we have than it is to finish the content that is still being edited. So I will get to that as soon as I can. I'm still in the process of this move, which takes up a lot of my time. You know, there's only one of me. And so I can't edit everything, get everything up at once, make these podcasts, and produce new content all at the same time. That will change soon when I relocate, because I won't be working on a house for half of the day every day. Look forward to new content from our studio. Look forward to some of our old content being re-released on X Hamster Next Videos. Look forward to this podcast next week, because I will keep these coming out no matter what, even if I have to pre-record a couple to cover me while I'm actually moving. I'm looking forward to getting set up in the new space because hopefully I'll have room to have a studio set up full time, both for the podcast and also for making videos. That will facilitate, you know, more podcasts and hopefully a lot more videos once I start finding some models to work with in that area. If you've ever thought about being a model and you really want to give it a try, send me an email and we can talk about it. So yeah, not anything necessarily new on the business front. But the way things have been going lately, no news is, is good news. I'm happy that nothing's been taken down recently and that we are progressing on our new sites. So I really appreciate the support you guys have given us there. I appreciate the support you've given this podcast. And this does run on your questions. I use your questions to inform what I'm going to talk about. And I will be continuing the question and answer format from time to time where I just read through a bunch of your individual questions that don't necessarily fit into the lesson structure and are better addressed individually. Speaking of, we got a lot of questions and commentary on Polly last week. So I'm glad that I've started that as an interleaved series in with this BDSM 101. I will be talking about Polly more in the future, both, you know, relationship advice, how to make a Polly relationship work, more discussion on, you know, why some people are just more comfortable in that relationship style, how it compares and contrasts with monogamy, etc. But yeah, I got a lot of feedback on that, that episode. That was one of our more commented upon episodes, probably because at the moment more people are interested in searching out Polly on the internet. So our site gets pulled up on that. Some people are still very, very aggressively anti-Polly and they were happy to make themselves known as I expected. You know, that, that's the way it is. Whenever you are outside of the mainstream, you're gonna face discrimination. And I accept that, I accept that with kink. BDSM, poly, all this stuff. You know, being a kinky poly porn actor, I'm kind of setting myself up for some discrimination. And I accept that. That's part of the life I've chosen to lead. For you guys out there that are kind of struggling with it, you know, I, I understand and I'm here for it. Um, drop me a line if you need to ask some questions or you want to talk about it or you just need some support in, in understanding who you are and why you are the way you are. You know, I get a lot of those emails and I'm happy to give any advice that I can. You know, this is a, sometimes it's a pretty rough world and it's nice to know that somebody understands you and somebody's on your side. And that wraps it up for this week. As always, consent is king. Stay safe out there and I'll see you next week.